Oi, oi, people. Silky here, Death of Guitar Pop, and you are listening to Stateside Madness because madness are the bollocks. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American Fan Service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Well, hello, Stateside Madness. Welcome to another episode. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. Hey, Polly. Happy anniversary. And happy anniversary to you, Lori. So this has been two years of Lori and I doing the podcast. And, and of course, if I didn't already say it, did I say it? It was like eight seconds ago. Lori, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. So Polly, this relationship has officially lasted longer than my first marriage. There we go. Great. And also like a marriage uh, to get through this episode, I'm drinking right now. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I looked up the traditional uh, second anniversary gift is cotton. Cotton? Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, what am I going to get you that's cotton? You already have like 8 million Superman logo shirts, right? So you don't need another. So... True, but I'm not wearing underpants at the moment. So. Oh, dear. Yeah, I'm in need of those, but I I that I, I think your wife might have an issue with that. Not only that, I think uh, I would be really, really uncomfortable shopping for those. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh boy, this just got weird. But you know what? Hey, you know what the cure for that is? The communicator. First up on The Communicator, if you haven't already heard the Danger Man Sessions, is going to be released on vinyl. And it's going to be released on Friday, September 16th, so far as we know, if it stays on track. Some of the other re-releases haven't. Uh, so this new reissue features exclusive liner notes containing in-depth interviews with band members Chrissy Boy, Mike Barson, and Betters. So look forward to that. I've already ordered my copy. Also in the communicator, our dear friend Nick Woodgate, a.k.a. the JoJo Man Band, has a new album out on Spotify. Now, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, okay? It's spelled X-A. Is that Za? Is it Sha? How, how would you say that, Polly? Uh, I would go ahead and say Za. Za message nick i did I, I messaged him too so it's on him at this point he's probably busy promoting the new album give that a listen on spotify look for the jojo man band uh yeah please do uh also speaking of new things so Lori, my dear partner you're busted so lori has got another podcast as it turns out it's called accelerated culture the rise of alternative music in the 1980s and beyond 
and look for that on, I'm assuming, all the platforms we are currently on as Stateside Madness. Is that correct, Lori? Well, so far we are on Podbean and at the time of the recording, we've just been accepted by Apple Podcasts. We've submitted to Google Podcasts, Amazon, and a few others, but it sometimes takes them a week or two to actually list the uh the, the podcast, but uh, yeah, so we, we did our first episode and Polly, I got to tell you, it's so weird getting used to a host other than you. It, it yeah, is just... well, I make it really easy for you. So, uh... <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, you, you and Trey could not be more opposite. It's really kind of an adjustment, but you know, it's fun to be able to do a podcast about something other than madness as much as I love madness you know I also love my other 80s new wave music so um this kind of gives me an opportunity to step out a little bit you know I think that's fantastic and you know hey if there were more time in the world maybe I'd be doing a Slade or a T-Rex podcast but alas we could we could some weeks it feels like we barely pull off the stateside madness podcast so anyways good on you I hope it goes really really well Thank you. Thank you. So finally on the communicator today, very, very happy birthday to Mark Betters, who's turning 61 on August 24th. Betters was, of course, one of my first crushes. So happy birthday, Betters. What time is it? Showtime. All right. So, Polly, you came up with our idea for the episode today in honor of our two-year anniversary. So tell us what we're going to be doing today. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we deliberated quite a bit about what an anniversary episode should be. We thought maybe it should be a bit of a retrospective and maybe we would play clips from previous episodes and we felt that was kind of weird and a little, you know, we're not that level of celebrity, you know, we debated and debated and debated. And then we thought, well, you know, maybe the top 10 madness moments. And uh, that sounded pretty good. And so we reached out to fans on the interwebs and the social media and uh, asked them what their favorite madness moments were. Of course, there was a lot of overlap that made it easy. We were able to uh, hone it down. And then we got a lot in the way of people saying, well, this is my madness moment. And we'll include a bit of that too. Yeah, for sure. There were a lot of really cool personal stories. Now, a lot of them were just like, you know, oh, that time I met Suggs or that time I met Woody. And, you know, we're not really going to be reading out all of those because that would, that would take forever. But we are going to share a few of the stories that people shared that I just thought were really, really kind of cool. So we kind of extrapolated, I guess, from the listener responses and also from input from the members of our Stateside Madness team, Bobby and Donald. And we kind of put together what uh, what the top 10 are going to be. So coming up at number 10 is a fairly recent event from May 14th, 2021, Madness The Get Up Global Live Stream Event. Now, you might recall, this was filmed at London's Palladium with comedian Charlie Higson and special guests Roland Gift from Fine Young Cannibals and Paul Weller from The Jam. 
Now, fans chose this, I think, because this is just what we needed in the middle of lockdown. We were about one year into the pandemic at this point. Everything was closed down. All the concerts and stuff that everybody was hoping to go to were canceled, including Madness's American tour. So this was really nice. It was nice as a fan to just kind of be able to kick back and watch something new. It was creative. It was very well done. Be sure to check out on our blog at statesidemadness.com. It was about a year ago. Donald, who is our webmaster, did a really, really good blog entry reviewing this event. They did premiere three new songs, which was really, really exciting for us. Baby Burglar, The Cruelest Comedy, and this one, If I Go Mad. A little plastic hat, a little plastic nose. Oh, look, they're a plastic house and plastic clothes. Just give me the future ah, With the girl I know So Polly, what do you think of the get up coming in at number 10? Uh, well, it makes sense. You know, it was a gesture. You know, it was uh, madness, more or less saying, we get that we can't perform. We don't want to disappoint. We know you're suffering. Let's try to do something to just lift your spirits a bit. Concept, that's fantastic. But what if it sucked royally? Well, it didn't. They did a fantastic job. The production value was really, really good. The scripting, you know, it was very, very clever. Other bands were trying to do straight performances sans audience, and it was just a cricket fest out there in interweb land. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was really clever about this, too, if you happen to see it. Uh, since there couldn't be a live audience, the band themselves were the audience, and they edited it in such a way that the band members would be heckling themselves. But it, it, it sounds corny but it actually really worked so yeah that was a good choice it was really clever all the way around lee trying to actually break into the auditorium uh, um you know the the ghost the uh i appreciate the stephen king's shining aspect to it it was good fantastic what's next and at number nine that would be the first annual house of fun weekender back in 2011 so on Friday, November 25th, 2011, at Butlins Resort in Minehead, UK, Madness performed a medley of songs for their forthcoming album, Wee Wee, CC, Ya Ya, Da Da. Our friend Donald Troll here at Stateside Madness writes, the first House of Fun Weekender was a huge moment for Madness. When the band was able to move beyond the huge festival gig format, to create a more substantive and personal fan experience. 
It was the start of a decade-long social event marked by set lists of old rarities and new song previews on Fridays, the traditional hits on Saturdays, and leisurely annual meetups for fans from all over the world. I wasn't able to be there for the first House of Fun, but I got to hear the bootleg recordings from the upcoming album we expected to be called Circus Freaks. Why don't we take a listen to a song from what would be Wee Wee CC Ya Ya Da Da. It's My Girl Too, and it was played live at Butlins. I can't believe that was the first House of Fun weekender. I mean, it seems like they've been going on forever, and that doesn't seem that long ago to me. Yeah, it's you know, it's not that long ago. We just wrapped up 10 years. You know, it's not something until it really got chugging along that I think fans in the U.S. Uh, really caught on to. I certainly wasn't aware of it, probably for two or three years, that it was even happening. So, you know, good on them. A great idea. It's a great time. I was lucky enough to be there last year. And God, I hope it happens again. All right. So coming in at number eight in the fans' top 10 madness moments, the Take It or Leave It film premiere in 1981. Take It or Leave It was a pseudo documentary directed by Dave Robinson of Stiff Records. And it has the band members reenacting the band's history from their early days in Camden Town. So the film description says three friends, Lee Thompson, Chris Foreman, and Mike Barson, start to play music together. Along the way, their band suffers numerous arguments and changes in their lineup before finding success in the final scene, with a full-piece madness going out to a packed, screaming arena. Just so that's on your radar. And of course, the opening... Credits for the film, Take It or Leave It, have one of our favorite songs. Don't quote me on that. Concerned, 
You know, inevitably, uh, it, it would seem that every band reaches a point where they think they can pull something like this off. Most of them have a little bit more in the way of budget going for them. So the concept of take it or leave it more or less cursed from the beginning, I think, on a shoestring budget, very quick filming schedule, as it were. Guys trying to play themselves just a few years in the past. Now, I'm not going to say it works or it's high art or it's fantastic just on account of its madness, but uh, a surprisingly good effort, I think, is what I would call that. Not exactly what they're going to quote and put on the back of the DVD packet, but uh, yeah, you know, I like it. I think they did well. Thankfully, not too long, too overindulgent. That would have been weird. Uh, it's good. It's good for what it is. Okay, so let's take a pause here. Let's go to Twitter and let's read one of our fan responses. So Tom Roberts tweeted about his top madness moment. It must be Lee and Chrissy signing my arm in Rill so I could get them tattooed on. So real is in Wales, I guess. I was kind of chuckling at this because, uh, well, I was just thinking of the story that Silky told us about the time that he tried to get Suggs to sign his arm. Silky uh, said Suggs refused to sign it because he said he'd regret it. Yeah, true. And, you know, that's a bit of an old cliche. Uh, you you uh, show up in front of one of your uh, idols and you don't happen to be carrying your albums with you. So what do you do? Sign a, sign one of my body parts, you know, and madness being madness that signed the arms, you know, they're not Def Leppard. Nobody's signing anybody's breasts out of madness. Well, actually I take that back. If you've got any breast signing stories, call us here at Stateside Madness. <laughs> 1-800-what? <laughs> yeah, we can only, we can only hope that that's happened. But yeah, so yeah, so Silky from Death Guitar Pop was telling us about his, you know, idolization of Suggs and uh, catching up with him at one point and asking to have his arm signed and did not work out at that moment. But yeah, so there you go. It's a cliche. I said yeah about eight times. So uh, here's here, here's a not funny aside. So uh, when we're brainstorming things at Stateside Madness. Uh, we were talking about a live stream at one point and how we can make it interesting. I suggested me getting Tomo's face tattooed on my ass, and that did not go over well with the other folks at Stateside Madness. But those of you out there, if you think you want to crowdfund a tattoo of Tomo's face on my ass, go ahead. <laughs> Where was I for that discussion? I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Another casualty of drinking and thinking about what to do with Stateside Madness. Okay, take a drink and then tell us number seven, will you? So number seven, of course, would be the John Peel session. You know, we mentioned John Peel numerous times. The champion of what I would say is all great music out there. So the John Peel session for Madness was recorded August 14th, 1979. And it was broadcast two weeks later on August 27th. Now, John Peel, for those of you who are not familiar, is a British DJ, radio DJ at that, in his radio show on 
Radio 1, BBC Radio 1, uh, were notable for the regular Peel sessions, which usually consisted of about four songs recorded by an artist live in BBC studios. It often provided the first major national coverage to bands that would later achieve fame. So we've got Smiths, we've got uh, Susie and the Banshees, I believe uh, Damned were on John Peel sessions. It's just fantastic. And what a great, I would say sort of unbiased, but a review of bands that comes with a lot of gravitas because John Peel just nailed it. He just sensed it and knew what was going on in music. And God damn it, he's a saint. Uh, so Madness, when they were there, they recorded four songs. The Prince, Ben Breakfast Man, Stepping Into Line, and this one that we're going to hear, it's the land of hope and glory. particular version of land of hope and glory because i swear in the album version it sounds like suggs is calling tamo mother yeah but here you can hear it's actually master yeah so the the peel sessions lp that's out there is fairly coveted for madness fans you know it comes off for auction online and and or available on discogs or things like that but there's not a ton a ton a ton of out there and uh, to my knowledge, I don't think the Peel Sessions ever get re-released in any form. But uh, so far as um, on LP, there's only been one version of it. Uh, so, yeah, good luck. Good luck getting that. Okay, next up, number six in our countdown of top madness moments was the Summer Olympics 2012 closing ceremony. Madness was the first act to kick off the 2012 Summer Olympics closing ceremony in London. They performed Our House. Other performers included the Pet Shop Boys and One Direction. Now, I remember watching the closing ceremony on NBC, on American television, and they did not broadcast Madness. I don't know why. So I had to go to YouTube to find the video. So here is a little bit of our house from the Olympics closing ceremony in 2012. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors open. Tenemos que ver qué relación tienen Batman y Robin con la cultura inglesa. Dos grandes personajes de las tiras de superhéroes. Y ahora Madness con Nuestra Casa, de 1982. Escuchemos con atención uno de los grupos populares de principio de la década de los ochentas. 
international act at that point right to be closing off the olympic games which is as you know a worldwide event so good on them Uh, what did you think of the closing ceremony polly yeah so i thought it was a fine version you know pretty pretty standard but what are you going to do with that much of an audience you're gonna play it true you know to the song more or less you know we we might say here in the united states we've got springsteen like him or or not like him he is a sort of a motive of uh or representative of the american guy he's the working class guy he kind of connects people like him madness is that for the uk madness are cherished in the uk and rightfully so there would not be any form of olympic ceremony happening while madness was a working band that they wouldn't be included in that's a good analogy the springsteen thing i hadn't thought about that all my analogies are great of course all right what's next polly we're about halfway and at number five we're going to talk about the dance craze film premiere now we have talked about this before on stateside madness podcast but it was released back in february of 1981 february 19th in fact that was in the uk and on april 23rd in 1982 it was released in the states now as we all know it featured madness along with the specials bad manners the body snatchers the selector and the english beat now it's particularly important for many american fans because this was their first exposure to a new kind of music especially we might say in Southern California or those far reaches of the United States that are just that far from the UK. Now be sure to listen to Stateside Madness's episode 13, the Dance Craze episode, where we go on and talk a great deal more at length about Dance Craze. But right now, why don't we listen to the live Dance Craze version of Swan Lake. Twitter and see what uh, one of our fans has said. Charlie Darling tweeted his favorite madness moment. He says, I was on a bus in Camden when Chris Foreman got on. 
Some youths were calling out, Oi, Rockstar, Rockstar on the bus. I think we exchanged raised eyebrows and shrugged shoulders. So that must have still been pretty early in Chris's career if he was still taking the bus. He didn't, um, Charlie didn't mention a year, but uh, that's got to be kind of funny to have have kids razzing him on the bus. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know about the earliness of that necessarily. Um, it's a little hard to tell. You got to go with the guy's anecdotes a little bit. But, you know, when Suggs is um, my life show, he tells a story that I take as him being um, well-established as a rock star where he's just hanging out in a bar, as is reported Suggs likes to do. Um, in him meeting fans, uh, it would appear metalheads maybe or somebody a little more in the hard rock community. So I don't know. Maybe it's just that our boys are proper rock stars, but uh, they're not afraid of mingling with the hoi polloi, you know? So uh, maybe it's just that they do, in fact, still come in contact with us fan folks out there. All right. From the hoi polloi to number four, the roof of Buckingham Palace. 2012 was a banner year for our boys. So they performed at the London closing ceremony. And then a short while later, they played on the roof of Buckingham Palace for the Queen's Diamond Jubilee on June 4th, 2012. They used projectors to transform the front of the palace into terraced housing. That was really cool. It looked really cool. If you look for the videos online, it turned out really well. But I also kind of was making a statement, you know, that this is the people's palace. This is the people's house. Now, on the roof, they played both Our House and It Must Be Love. And reportedly, they changed the lyric in Our House from In the Middle of Our Street to In the Middle of One's Street, as Queen Elizabeth would say. And we have it from more than one source, at least one that's been on this podcast, that Lee reportedly tried to steal the tiles off of the roof of the palace. <laughs> you cannot stop that man from stealing. So let's listen to a little bit of It Must Be Love from the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. It's time to welcome one of Britain's best-loved bands. They've sold millions of records, packed venues throughout the world, and now they're playing on the roof of Buckingham Palace. Go crazy for madness! It must be love. I never thought I'd miss you half as much as I do. And I never thought I'd feel this way The way I feel about you Soon as I wake up every night, every day I know that it's you I need to take the blues away Whoa! It must be love Love, love It must be love Love, love Nothing more, nothing less Love is the best Oh, yes How can Yeah, 
so the Diamond Jubilee Madness appearance is my go-to when I'm trying to explain the sort of status that Madness has achieved to American fans. Um, you know, they don't let just anybody get on the roof of Buckingham Palace. It's such an important event in UK history and, and culture, you might say. So yeah, it's no surprise that they chose Madness. It's no surprise that Our House with the revisions was going to be part of the Jubilee. And yeah, they did. They knocked it out of the park. So there you go, American Madness fans. The next time you've got to explain who Madness is and why they're important to some snot lows little kid, there you go. They played on top of Buckingham Palace for the Queen. All right. So what's next, Polly? So next... And it is a seminal moment. It's Madness's appearance on top of the Pops. And it is the Prince, or rather them playing the Prince. This happened back on September 6th in 1979. Now, according to Button Down Radio on Twitter, that's what got us into Ska. That first Top of the Pops appearance, and we were hooked. Buster, he sold the heat. Buster, he sold the heat With a rock steady beat An earthquake is erupting But not in our street A ghost dance is preparing You got to help us with your feet If you're not in the mood to dance Step back with yourself a seat Uptown Jamaica, but we promise you a treat. Bust the bone me over with your bonus dance, shuffle me off my feet. Even though I'll keep on running, I'll never get to Orange Street. So, Top of the Pops is really kind of the British equivalent of American Bandstand, right? Pre MTV. That's how a lot of young Americans got new music was through American Bandstand. On the other side of the pond, Top of the Pops. So um, that would have been, yeah, their first major television appearance. And that would have been the first time that many British fans would ever have seen them. Top of the Pops, uh, much like American Bandstand. Yeah, it's a bit watered down. It's a bit joe status quo you know it's it's made to appeal to the masses and whatever like that but you know i've got a million of those seeing something on tv and it just sticking in your heart for a million years mm -hmm. you know i uh seeing uh little richard on the mike douglas show uh that changed my life um Seeing Prince on television for the first time, that changed my life. Seeing David Bowie, uh, I believe the first white act to appear on Soul Train. Um, these are things that you don't forget. And had I been, um, well, I would have been nine in 1979 watching Madness on Top of the Pops, I would have been enamored at that moment as well. So, yeah, good on them. Uh, it's a great benchmark 
to appear on top of the pops for any UK band. You know, something else worth noting too, Madness were banned from top of the pops on at least two occasions, but then somehow they always got invited back and they were banned for silly things for uh, messing around on stage, like dancing behind other performances, refusing to uh, lip sync, stuff like that. I mean, it was not like they were banned because they were doing anything salacious, but it seems like no matter how, how many times they got banned, they still kept getting unbanned and getting invited back. Maybe I would like to think, uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you know, maybe Madness were one of, if not the first band, to mess about with the lip syncing format because uh, just like American Bandstand, they play the radio edits of songs when they appear on Top of the Pops. And, you know, this that started a trend more or less. We all remember Morrissey singing into a bouquet of flowers uh, rather than taking to a microphone. Mm-hmm. When the Smiths appeared, we all remember Iron Maiden spontaneously stopping playing their instruments, the drummer grabbing the bass guitar, the guitarist grabbing the lead singer's microphone, Bruce Dickinson jumping on the drum set, switching up positions, things like that, making a mockery of the format, which I got to say, if you're an accomplished musician, God damn it, it's your right. Why should you play to a track in lip sync? So good on Madness, good on Morrissey, good on Iron Maiden. Might be the only time I get to say that sentence in my life. Okay. So now we're going to turn to Facebook. We have yet another fan-submitted madness moment. Mark Glasgow writes, 2017, I was invited backstage by Chrissy Boy after I was diagnosed with incurable grade four brain cancer. And the legend still keeps in touch with me. Class act i mean we we love chris you know he's a friend of the podcast but that kind of stuff that's that's why he is just a very thoughtful very genuine person as are most of the boys so good on him thanks for sharing that with us mark we hope you're doing well absolutely good luck to you mark and thanks again okay so number two of the fan submitted top madness moments We got a lot of submissions for this one. So it's not just me, although this would have been my, I think, top madness moment. The Liberty of Norton Folgate premiere at the Hackney Empire. Seven Ragged Men wrote on Twitter, first night of Hackney and the unveiling of the Liberty of Norton Folgate, 2008. Graham Yates replied on Twitter, the Liberty of Norton Folgate launch party at the light bar. Now I hadn't heard about the launch party. I imagine it was something else. So the first performance of the Liberty of Norton Folgate was on June 20th, 2008. And we did talk about this extensively in episode 24, the Liberty of Norton Folgate part two. That evening was immortalized in a film by Julian Temple. Not only were fans being treated to new material, but there was this whole like Victorian themed stage show around it with performers in the audience. It was a concept album that had a theme. It was a very, very unique experience. And I wish I had been there live to experience it. It would have been phenomenal. One of the songs that they premiered that night at the Hackney Empire was this one, We Are London. 
I know you and I actually spent two episodes talking about the Liberty of Norton Folgate. Anything you'd like to add? The Liberty of Norton Folgate, as we explained on episode 24, it's a monumental moment. For me, I remember getting on a plane somewhere, or rather being in an airport somewhere, and grabbing, I can't remember if it was NME or if it was a copy of Spin, but there was a review of Liberty of Norton Folgate, uh, or maybe even more of an announcement. I don't really recall whether anybody said it was good, bad, or the other. But it kind of got my attention. This was uh, not exactly in the infancy of the interwebs, but it would have been for me, because I'm a caveman. I said, okay, I've got to get that. And when I got home, I had my local record store, independent record store at that, order me the CD of Norton Folgate. I remember listening to it and saying, well, that's all good and nice. And then continuing to listen to it and saying, this isn't just good and nice, this is masterful. So I didn't have the good fortune in 2008 to even know that they were going to be more or less premiering Norton Fullgate. Envious, jealous, all of those adjectives. I wish I could have been there. I'm sure it was magnificent, but at least at the core of it it is them announcing they're back. Not necessarily like Wonderful or Madstock, but they're back. They're badass. True auteurs, true artists, and they can do it all. Because Norton Folgate, there's not a lot out there like that. There is the Who's Tommy, there's all manner of concept albums and things that approximate rock operas. But Norton Fulgate, it's the real deal, baby. And to see that live, God damn it, I wish I would have been there. So for our listeners, if you're unfamiliar with the Liberty of Norton Fulgate, we really recommend that you listen to our two-part episode, episode 23 and 24, where we do a deep dive into the Liberty of Norton Fulgate. Okay, so that would bring us to number one. And why wouldn't it be number one? So we've all heard the story. Boys meet, boys make band, band does great. Boys get annoyed with boys, boys break up the band. But then in 1992, we've got Madstock and we've got the return of madness. Now, if you remember, 
episode 17 we talked at length about mad stock it's the mad stock episode for stateside madness we know that madness had broken up in 1985 and shortly after they released the single waiting for the ghost train sort of their swan song if you will now they would not perform again until saturday august 8th 1992 at mad stock in finsbury park london where they shook the ground now to open the show the band walked out they happened to just sort of glance at the crowd this is as the story goes they more or less just took a minute we're told it wasn't planned more or less just happened but nonetheless what a powerful opening then of course the crowd heard Chaz's opening words and they went nuts Hey, you! Don't watch that! Watch this! This is the heavy, heavy monster sound! The nuttiest sound around! So if you're coming off the street and you're beginning to feel the heat, well, listen, Buster, you better stop to move your feet to the rockiness, rock steady beat of madness! A's on Twitter writes to us apart from having hold of the hand of Mike Barson on the odd occasion I'd have to say when they entered the stage at Madstock 92 that's when I undoubtedly knew exactly what real true love for something felt like so I want to know apart from holding the hand of Mike Barson on the odd occasion What's the story behind that? Why why is this person on more than one occasion holding Mike Barson's hand? I need to know more here. Yeah. <laughs> so please write to us, pen and paper with a stamp on it, to Stateside Madness. <laughs> For Polly, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, without a doubt, Madstock 92 is the number one madness moment and to watch the dvd and just you you can pick up on the electricity in the air that moment you were talking about when the band first walks out on stage i've talked to people who were there i'm envious of people who were there it just sounds like it was absolutely freaking awesome and as we all know there was actually an earthquake from the fans stomping up and down it measured on the richter scale what an amazing comeback from a band that i think a lot of people had written off uh absolutely and um you know imagine the scenario if it had gone another way and the fans more or less granting that gift to them of the confidence they needed to go on and produce their most mature and in and in many respects their best work from that point on 
somehow they got the timing just right. You know, I think it was just the right amount of time that they were away. Either people still miss them, still love them. Had they waited too long, it might have become another one of these, you know, novelty acts from the 80s that are doing, you know, one of their little tours like we see going on, you know, every few years. Their timing was was impeccable to sustain a, a festival like Madstock, you know. Our thanks to everybody who submitted your uh, top madness moments, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I don't think anybody submitted on Instagram, but you could have. We are on Instagram. We are on all the social medias. Um, Polly, you've really been working very hard and trying to arrange some interviews, which I think are going to be in our next episode. So could you talk a little bit about the interviews that we're going to be having in two weeks? Yeah. So for the next episode and uh, in future episodes, we wanted to sort of expand from a straight up madness topics to maybe tangential madness topics madness adjacent sort of topics we're gonna be talking to a lot of up-and-coming bands hopefully ones that were influenced by the ska scene maybe madness themselves maybe people we just think need a little bit of a voice out there and so in our next episode we're going to be talking to a couple of american bands uh, that are very female centric very punk centric very ska centric and look forward to that coming up in two weeks. Right. So we allowed our friend Donald, who is our webmaster at statesidemadness.com, to choose our closing song. We heard a little bit from Donald earlier in this episode for number nine, when he talked about hearing the early tracks off of Wee Wee CC Ya Ya Da Da at the first annual House of Fun Weekender. Donald wrote about that. I got to hear the bootleg recordings from the upcoming album we expected to be called Circus Freaks. The new song, Big Time Sister, caught my fancy, even though it didn't turn up in the special edition of Wee Wee CC, along with a DVD of that historic Friday Night Butlins set. So we're going to leave you with that recording from Butlins Minehead. 2011 big time sister which is a favorite of donald's please do check out statesidemadness.com we've got a great blog there that donald maintains and we'll see you back in two weeks it's a goodbye for me and that's a goodbye for me go get a beer stateside madness and cheers to us for two great years i know what we're doing
Okay, over the whole weekend, please, if you would. Keep it to your shadows yeah. and try and steal a rowing boat to write a passage.